for those of you who, um, who've read the gospel, you know that this is the prologue. It's the, it's the setting that the disciple, later apostle, and follower of Jesus Christ, John, wrote as he was one of the last disciples on an island called Patmos. And there he wrote letters and particularly the gospel in recording for us the teaching of Jesus Christ. And if you study this gospel, it's really quite powerful because in the prologue, he lays out basically the theme of the rest of the gospel. On morning time, this, tonight I, I just am a man who saw and was with Jesus for three years and then witnessed his resurrection and then saw him ascend into heaven. This is what he penned. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He, John the Baptist, as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through receive him, yet to all who re did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. He has made him known. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, this is the last in a series of sermons that we have been working through as far as this prologue in the Gospel of John. Uh, for those of you who who have not heard any of the sermons, I won't go back and preach them again unless you have time. But I do want you to realize that John is writing in a time where he, as an author, is pinning these words to a culture that is somewhat similar to what we're facing today. What do I mean? Well, if you were here this morning, you'll remember that we talked about that, that John begins his Luke record the birth narratives where Jesus is depicted as being born of a baby in a manger. Uh, the wise men and the shepherds come and visit him as a baby. They worship him. They, they, they give uh, frankincense and myrrh and gold to him. But John doesn't open his gospel that way. He opens it in a totally different way. 
because in the world that he lived in, there were three things happening that are similar to what you are hearing and seeing in our own day. The first was there was incredible spiritual confusion. What do we believe about who God is and why are we here? For what purpose is my life? And one of my witness is that Jesus is the one who makes sense of that. He says he's the word. In the Greek world, that meant the person who was behind everything. The, the power, the unseen force that created or was a part of the created universe. Jesus was that, John says. And because he is the one who created our spiritual confusion, the world's confusion is due to the fact that we don't know who God is. The second thing that was a part of John's day was moral deterioration. Though there was marriage and a man would marry a wife and they would have children, relationship a man would have. In fact, they were as immoral or even more immoral than anything we can imagine today. And the reason they were was because they didn't know what life was about. They pursued any pleasure to try to fill this emptiness in their heart, their soul, that they knew was there as to why they were living, what purpose did they have in life. And so as they filled their lives with sensualities and pleasures and maybe the extremes of Stoicism and other philosophies, none of that satisfied. And in the midst of that culture, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then thirdly, for decency and justice hungered that what they saw was wrong with the world and with people around them would be fixed that there would be a way in which somehow the mess we're living in can be undone and cleaned up but was more acute was people who saw their culture being that way also witnessed that in their own hearts was a duplicity where they knew what was right, or at least they thought they knew what was right, but they never could live it out consistently. And so they were bankrupt. The Apostle Paul says at the right time, Christ came into the world and died on the cross. The Greek there speaks about the fact that when God orchestrated that the light coming into the world, this man named Jesus, that God orchestrated it in such a way that he was not born one minute too early or one minute too late. That his existence and his coming into the world was planned from the ages. And so as you think about this night, we are not talking about just the baby being born in a manger. We're talking about God revealing himself to we who would never know him. And so tonight, as we think through the rest of this passage, John says something really quite easy to them. To those who receive him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. Well, what in the world is he talking about? What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, I remember growing up when I would head out the door, my mother would look at me and she'd say, remember who you are and remember where you came from. I always hated that. 
I knew who I was, and I knew where I came from. And I was ready to dust the dirt of Darlington, South Carolina off my feet as soon as I could because I felt there was something more to life, right? Have you felt that way? Well, the most amazing thing is a child of God is someone who loves God. She desires to please God. In fact, one of the things the scriptures teach us is that you were created by God to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Now, now think of that. Your purpose in of existing, the reason God allowed the cells to come together to form you, to give you life, was that your birth would bring him glory, that people would look at you and they'd go, wow, there must be a God. I want you to know, we have one daughter, and when that daughter was born, something changed in me. Because I realized, as much as I'd like to say that was a by and who, I had nothing to do with creating that life. And so a child of God is someone who loves God and seeks to love God by doing what God has designed them to do and to be. Now in the Old Testament, one of the things that's interesting is that John was teaching this you would find that many people see themselves as children of God because they're descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because you go back to Genesis 12, you'll find that Abraham was someone God had chosen for no apparent reason and said, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Telling Abraham and those descendants that through Abraham, God would send a redeemer Someone who would, could fix the problems the world is facing. The most amazing thing about that is those people who were descended from Abraham, who we call the Jews, they received through Moses the Ten Commandments. Do you know what those are? Have no other gods, right? Don't make idols. Don't take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie about your neighbor, don't want what your neighbor has. Just keep those commandments, then I'm a child of God. But the amazing thing is that God never gave them those commandments as a way of proving that they are good enough to be God's people. Some of you tonight have that kind of relationship with God. You think about who God might be and you say, well, I've lived a good life or at least I've done more good than bad, so therefore I'm, I'm an okay person. Not according to God. God says if you're an okay person, you have glorified him and loved him by keeping his commandments. And so we find out from Jesus that the commandments were given to show us how far short let me give you an example. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. What have I heard it said? You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Meaning have relationships with someone outside of the bond of marriage. But I tell you, if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you have already committed it. 
No respecting Jew would teach that even today. Because all of us would be guilty, wouldn't we? You see this teaching that Jesus brings? This is why John says he's the light of the world. His light, his teaching reveals things about you and me that we don't want. Clearly reveals it. Well, if I can't be a child of God by obeying the, the law, if I can't be good enough to be accepted by God, then what chance do I have? That's the glory of Christmas. Because God revealed the way in which we can be his children. And it's through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? There is a way. But it's not the way that you and I would normally think, as if i got to do enough good things. And if I get that far, then God will accept me. No. No, those are the... When you go and talk with someone who is a Muslim, you say, well, what must I do to be right with God? They said, when you do enough. And you say, well, how much is that when it's enough? It's a circular reasoning. When Jesus taught, he talked about grace and truth in the sense that salvation and being a child of God is through one means. It's by faith alone. It's by faith alone. Well, how can it be by faith alone? Well, if you and I cannot possibly keep God's commandments, and we, we haven't, and God still wants to offer us that gift to become part of his family, then, then that way of becoming a part of the way I would try to do it. And so faith involves knowledge. It involves assent that the knowledge is true. And then lastly, I must trust that that way that is revealed for me is the only way that I will ever be God's child. And so when you and I begin to work through this passage tonight, one of the things that John teaches us is that these dynamics of genuine faith involve some very important things. He says, to all who receive him. What does that mean? <laughs> to all who receive him. Well, D.A. Carson, a, a wonderful scholar of receive Jesus, is to put an allegiance to him. You hear that? An allegiance to him. I'm not going to listen to Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil. I'm not going to listen to my neighbor or the person down the street. I I'm going to focus my attention on the one who came who was with God in the beginning and who was God and is God. But secondly, he goes on and say that I trust Jesus completely. That I acknowledge Jesus' claims about himself and that I confess Jesus as that one who has made it possible for anyone to become a child of God. And this is what John is, for those who, who call upon his name. Well, what does that mean, his name? Well, it, it, it's simply a, uh, more than a title. The name was the person, the character, even the person himself. And so this way of salvation that God has given through faith is that we don't believe in our ability to do anything to please God. We believe that Jesus is the one through whom we can have peace with God as we 
receive him and as we believe in his name. And in that moment, Paul, uh, John writes, he says, to those who receive him, to those who called of God, she has become a child of God. Isn't that glorious? And so a, a person who has become a believer is someone who no longer trusts in their ability to keep a law. They have come to the trust that they have nothing to offer God as anything to brag about. They simply accept the truth about their shortcomings and acknowledging it to God and asking his forgiveness and then asking Christ, Lord, I receive you. I believe in you. It's really quite powerful. You say, it can't be that. You see, you can do all these things. You can walk out here tonight and say, well, I've received Jesus. As if something you've checked on a checklist that happened six or seven years ago. And I believe in Jesus as if you believe in George Washington. That does not change anything. No, something else is dynamically involved with this gift of Christmas. And this is the amazing part. The right to become children of God is by faith in Christ alone. But then there's something else that is powerful that when that person, like you or me, come to God in that way, to the person of Jesus Christ, different in our hearts. John put it this way. He said, we do not become those who, who think that we can become born of a right with God by some external or willful decision. He says, it's not by natural descent. In other words, I'm not a Christian or a follower of Jesus because my mom or dad were. I, I'm not a Christian or a follower of Jesus because I go to church. I, I've always equated that as uh, you're, you think you're a Big Mac because you go to McDonald's. No, 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 none of that. I, I become a Christian because in the moment of that Trevor, keep God's law. I can never fulfill his expectation that I was to glorify him and enjoy him forever. In the moment of that confession before him and in receiving and believing that through him and his death on the cross he paid the penalty that I deserved, then in that moment the scriptures say that God changes our hearts. It happened with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of this gospel. Jesus said, you must be born from above. And so, what it is not, being a believer is just not doing good things. It's not just saying the right words. It's coming into a relationship with God I could never have through any effort of my own. It's by a surrender to the only one who could make that possible. And his name is Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Gloriously powerful. And so tonight as we, we light these candles, these candles speak of promise, love, joy, peace. All of that is possible, not by doing certain things. It's by receiving the person of Jesus.
And the one who does that will be changed in their heart in such a way that they'll want to start again to mean something to you. You'll, you'll start reading it. And though you don't understand a word at first, as you read it, God will begin to speak through the scriptures to you. He will begin to illuminate in your heart who he is and what he's done through Christ for you. And slowly but surely as you walk with him and you talk with Christ and you pour out the things where you look at the Ten Commandments and it says you shall have no other gods before you, it's in those moments that you'll give up those things you worship like pornography or, or money or fame or power. You'll start giving those things up because they're meaningless, they're empty. They only are fleeting for a moment, but they do not bring anything that's satisfactory to the soul. Why? Because the glory of being a Christian. It's not that I do. It's that I've come to know and trust in one who could not do for me what I couldn't do for my. Or I should say, come and trust the one who did for me what I could not do for myself. Isn't that glorious? If that piques your interest, if you, if you want to know more about this, we would love to talk with you. But as this sinks into your soul, as we begin to light the candles, these candles represent the fact that we have come to see the truth of Jesus' teaching and helpless and deserving God's judgment. Someone once said that mercy is not getting what we deserve and grace is receiving what we never could earn. Well, when you come to Christ and you receive him and believe in him, the Bible says that he cleanses you. Your sins is, are completely rendered unable to hold you back from God anymore. Think of that. Think of the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And you ask God to forgive you by receiving Christ. And he says, I forgive you. The report that was serving a small town somewhere in Europe. And he cared about his people to know this Jesus Christ. And as he was preaching the gospel and teaching people the word of God, more people came to believe in Christ in such a way that it was really astounding he was so humbled to see God at work in people's lives. Until one day a woman came and told him, I have seen the Lord. And she said, he's, you know, he thought, okay, we've, we've got a live one here, right? And she said, no, no, I have seen the Lord. And he said, okay, what happened? He said, while I was praying, he appeared to me. And he said, okay. Okay, well, what about it? He said, she said, well, what should I do? And he said, well, when you go back, if you're praying and he reveals himself to you again, ask him what the priest, the setting sin is. What is the thing that I struggle with in loving God? And she said, okay. So she went back home and the months passed and the priest was out in his garden, tending his garden, and as he looked over the horizon, here came the woman walking toward him. And he had remembered that he had asked her to ask the Lord what it was that he struggled with in obeying and loving him. 
And so his palms began to sweat. You ever room and the principal gets on the, on the speaker and says, Robert Howard, please come to the office. The woman came to him and he finally got the words out. Did you see him? And she said, yes. What did he say? Did you ask him? Yes. What did he say? He said, I choose to remember no more. This is the forgiveness that God offers. The worst thing you've ever done. God says, I choose to remember it no more. How? How can he do that? By faith who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, as we take this time to remember this birth, that you entered the world, that light came into the darkness, we acknowledge the darkness not only of the world but of our own hearts and the need of what we have of forgiveness and cleansing and being adopted into your family. And Father, there may be someone in the sound of my voice where they've heard the gospel tonight and for the first time it starts to make sense. My prayer is, God, that you would not allow that move of your spirit to do anything more than to lead them deeper into the arms of our Savior, Jesus. Is that you would help us to worship you as we give gifts either tonight or tomorrow as we're with friends that we would not miss the opportunity of opening the Gospel of John and hearing the words and teaching of Jesus. Because John said, in him was life, and he is the light of all men and women. And so for that, freeze, for that reason, reveal yourself to us, Jesus. Come and be among us. We ask and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.